good morning. All right, all right. Uh, my name's John. I'm one of the uh, campus pastors here uh, at Daybreak. And uh, we're starting uh, today, we're introing this new series. Carmen mentioned to it, uh, you mentioned it to you. That's a good start. Uh, yeah. That uh, is going to take us from now for the next probably eight or nine weeks all the way leading up to Easter. We're going to be in this series uh, called Resolute, following Jesus to the cross from now all the way up until Easter. Easter is about two months away, the beginning of April. Spring is right around the corner. All right, we're basically there already. So uh, what I want you to ask you to do actually is pull out your outline, if you will, if you haven't yet. It'll, help you, it'll really help you follow along today. And at the top of the, uh, the, top of the inside page there, uh, we have a verse that's sort of our, our theme verse for the series. It's sort of the, the theme of what we're talking about over these next few weeks. And it's, it says this, it says, As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, he re- Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And it's this idea of this resoluteness, this determination that Jesus had, this, this nature, this iron will that he had to follow what God had called him to do. That's what this series is going to be all about. So during, during the next few weeks, all the way up until Easter, what we're going to do is together, we want to recognize and even identify with different places in Jesus' journey and, and understand and try to grab a hold of the extreme lengths that he went to in order to obey what God was asking him to do, making God the Father was asking him to do, making his way to the cross on our behalf. And so what we're going to do is together, we're going to go on this journey where, where we're going to see different um, like pivotal moments or crossroads moments in, in Jesus' life. And we're going to see the determination, that resoluteness that we're talking about. We're going to see how that shows up in these different areas and things that he went through and things that he suffered and in people that he interacted with uh, all the way then, of course, to what he went through on the cross, which leads us to Easter, which where we celebrate what? His resurrection, right? Yeah, his resurrection. And so these different moments that we, that we talk about, that we work through these next few weeks, um, the idea is that we're not only going to celebrate the, the difficulty of the crucifixion, which we're going we're gonna to experience it and take a look at it and dive into, but then we're also cel- celebrating his resurrection. And so it's our prayer that we'll all take this journey together over the next few weeks, that each of us here, because we all come from different places, we all relate uh, to God a little bit differently or, or have, have related to God a little bit differently. The prayer is that during this series, each of us are going to say, hey, I'm going to draw a little bit closer to Jesus than, than I ever have before. So that's, that's kind of where we're, we're headed. And so what today is, is it's really a way to set up this whole series um, get us ready for this season that, that is upon us. And in several streams of the Christian faith, this, this time of year, this season is actually referred to as Lent. How many of you have ever participated in, in a Lent, in the, in the season of Lent? Okay, maybe almost half of you or so. For those of you who have or maybe even haven't participated, what are some of the things that come to mind when you think of Lent? Sacrifice. Fasting. No meat on Friday. Discipline. Anything else? Complaining? Okay. All right. <laughs> Goes along with the sacrifice sometimes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else? Okay. Yep. Anything else? Yeah, okay, preparing your heart, yeah. Now, I, I personally have never, I've, I've engaged in like an Ash Wednesday type of thing before, but I've never really focused 
myself personally on this season and really taken the whole journey. But that's what we're going to try to do over the course of these next few weeks is really engage as a church family. And, and it may be look a little bit different or feel a little bit different than what the way that you've experienced in your past. And that may be a challenge and stretch for you, or that may be good for you. You may be glad that it's going to look different, but we're going to go on that journey together. Now, there are a number of devotional guides that I'm going to talk to you in a little, little bit, but there's one specific one that um, called Seeking God's Face, where they, they give a good definition of Lent that I want to read for you. And there's a there's a little clip of it in your outline there, I believe, but I'm going to read more than, than what's in, in your outline. He says this about Lent. He says, Lent, popularly understood as a season of joyless custom and, and duty, carries almost too much religious baggage for some people. How then do we keep the gospel front and center in this season of shadows? The cross keeps our gospel focus clear. Lent is a season to journey with Jesus in his passion, to survey the cross, taking the measure of Christ's love, in his suffering and death. Beginning on Ash Wednesday, Lent is the 40-day season leading up to Easter. If you count all the days, there are more than 40, but the Sundays are not counted as part of Lent as they are resurrection celebrations held throughout the season. It begins with the stark reminder that from dust you have come and to dust you will return and leads toward Jesus' final week, marked by Palm Sunday and stopping short of the resurrection celebration of Easter morning. Ashes are a good emblem of Lent, a picture of our own mortality and spiritual condition, a sign of Lent's penitent spirit, and yet a hint of the hope of renewal. Celebration isn't the word to use for our participation in Lent. It is a somber journey of spiritual preparation and renewal, marked especially by repentance and prayer. In our pain-averse culture, Lent stands apart by not shrinking away from suffering, by cultivating in us the wisdom that growth often comes through suffering. In a time and place of religious freedom, where we mostly don't suffer for Christ, Lent invites us to willingly identify with Christ's suffering through fasting or other forms of self-denial. The spare and sober nature of Lent is healthy for the heart and true to the gospel, scrubbing away frothy spirituality by calling us to say no to ourselves in order to experience a greater yes in Jesus. It helps to imprint the form of the cross in our lives, recognizing that the news of the risen Lord Jesus is not good, without the way of the cross. Lent prepares us to experience the reality of resurrection joy only by first recognizing the depth of our sin that pinned Christ to the cross. So like I said, um, this, is the, this is the, might be a little different than the way that you've experienced Lent before. It's the first time in Daybreak's history that we've done a series where we've really intentionally focused on this. We're not going to do it. It's not going to be like strictly liturgical and follow maybe some of the ways that you, you've experienced it before. We're going to kind of add our own, our own flair to it, but we are going to try to, to kind of strike a balance between the casual style that we, that we usually have in our worship settings with a more structured approach based on these Lent movements. So before we dive into today, uh, to this first topic this first week, let me pray for us. Father, you know where we all come from today, and you know uh, the circumstances that we're in and the, um, the things that we're going through and the ways that we're feeling and, and um, our, how close we are to you. And um, I know that no matter where we are today, that you invite us to step closer. And so um, we, we want to do that today. We want to step closer to you today, and then especially during this season, we want to draw close enough uh, to you to have you Show us who you are, to tell us who we are, and to really um, maybe take some new steps and grow, grow in our understanding of the sacrifice 
that you went through on our behalf. So today we ask as we begin this journey that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and that we would, um, that we would leave here desiring to draw close to you. We pray all this in, in your name. Amen. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at um, the early years, a few of the early years in Jesus' uh, life. Uh, and we've, we've titled this message, Born in the Shadows, because in a way, his, his arrival here was something that, that kind of happened in the shadows. It was something that happened a, a, little bit, a, bit, a little bit quietly and secretly. Not only was he in a, in a, in a manger, in a stable, like we know with the, with the Christmas story that we're all familiar with, um, but he also spent the first few years of his life in exile. So it's a story that a lot of times uh, we, we brush by or we f- might forget about it or we, we might tend to overlook, but he actually spent a couple of his, his first years in exile in Egypt. And so uh, the story that we're going to be reading today a lot of times gets overlooked because it's so shocking. Like we don't, we don't, there's parts of it that we don't really know about or just maybe doesn't seem that important. We kind of have the Christmas side and then we just move on into the, uh, when Jesus was older and, and his ministry years. Um, but, but as we discuss today's story, what we're going to do is we're going to be asking two questions, two crucial questions that get us prepared for this Lenten season. And the first question is this, which is in your outline. Will I keep Jesus at a distance or draw close to him? Will I keep Jesus at a distance or draw close to him? The scriptures tell us that in Matthew chapter 2, tell us in Matthew chapter 2 that Jesus was born during the time of a king named, anybody know? Herod, yeah, a king named Herod. And Herod was just this, he was not a good guy, okay? Like he was just a ruthless, uh, brutal ruler. And, and Herod found out about Jesus from some, some travelers. There were some magi that had traveled from the east, uh, some wise men who came to Jerusalem, and, and, and they had been following the star, and they basically said to, to Herod, they got there, they're like, hey, do you know where this, this, this uh, king of the Jews is, this person who's, who's born king of the Jews? And Herod was kind of taken aback by it, and he goes, hang on a second. <laughs> and so he goes and he talks to some of the Jewish uh, prophets and finds out that, that the prophecy said that the king of the Jews would be born in Bethlehem. So Herod goes back then to the Magi. How many of them were there? We don't, not three, actually. We don't know. Trick question, which none of you really answered. So, um, so we actually we don't know how many there were Magi. There could have been 150, but I think that would have been really crowded. Anyhow, so they, they, he, Herod said to them, hey, Go, here's, here's, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. This, this king of the Jews is supposed to be born there. Go ahead, head over there, and when you find him, when you worship him, give me a heads up. I want to know where he is because I want to come there, and I want to worship him as well. And so they went, and they, they gave Jesus their gifts, and, and, and you know that part of the story. Uh, but when they were getting ready to leave, it, Scripture tells us that God warned them in a dream that to, to not go back to Herod, to not give Herod a heads up, but to take a different uh, root home, root home, and so that's where we pick up the story. In verse, this is from Matthew chapter two, verse thirteen. It says this: It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, "Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him." That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. So one thing is clear about Herod from the get-go is that he was intimidated by the fact that this new king was, was born and he saw it as a threat to his power base. So he had, he had, Herod had his plans. He knew what he wanted. 
Uh, he wanted to be in charge. And, and as, as we mentioned earlier, I, I told you he wasn't a very good guy. We can find out from other historical documents, there's quite a, a, a large amount of documentation of some of the ruthless ways that he ruled. Um, according to one commentary, by this point in time, Herod had already killed most of the Sanhedrin, which was like the supreme, um, the supreme court of the Jewish people. He had killed over 300 court officials. He took the lives of his wife and his mother-in-law, and he had killed three of his sons. All right, so this is the guy we're dealing with, all right? This is pleasant, isn't it? Pleasant? Yeah. So basically, Herod had this power. He had power. He wasn't interested in giving it up. He wasn't interested in sharing it. He was interested only in keeping it for himself. And so anytime there was a threat, anytime somebody betrayed him, anytime he thought there might be somebody trying to take some of his power away from him, he reacted violently. He decided, hey, I'm not going to mess around. I'm going to take this person out. They're going to be gone. And so when he heard about this king being born, there was no way that he was just going to let this, this slide by. There was no way he was just going to let uh, this king of the Jews be born and spoil somehow his rule and his reign. So what happens to Jesus? God gives the wise men a heads up, right? It says in a dream that, that God let them know, don't go back to Egypt, don't go back to Herod, stay away. And then, and then God gives Joseph a heads up and says, get up, go to Egypt. I want you to go now. And so Joseph and Mary obeyed and headed, headed to Egypt the way uh, just as God had told them to. So here's Jesus, right? The son of God, the one that, we've, that they've all been waiting for, right? This is, this is Jesus, God in the flesh comes, coming to earth to be the savior of all humankind. And we know, at, because of where we are in the story, we know that he's going to be resolute and he's going to follow uh, his heavenly father obediently all the way to the cross. But this savior who, who, who is headed in that direction begins his life born in the shadows. For the first couple years in his life, Jesus ends up having to be hidden in order to escape the sword of a man who wasn't about to surrender any ground to this whatsoever, to any kind of other ruler in his life. And one of the truths of the gospel, one of the truths of the good news of Jesus, one of the things that we know to be true because we know the rest of the story, is that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord, and that he invites us to surrender to his leadership in our, in our lives. And so this first crucial question that we're asking today, during this Lenten season, will we choose to distance ourselves from Jesus, like Herod chose to do? Will we choose to, to distance ourselves from him, to push him away, to keep ourselves at a distance, or will we choose to draw close? Herod refused, absolutely refused to surrender any ground in his life to Jesus. And while our, our response to him may not be at the same level as Herod's, right? We're not, we're not necessarily Herod's in this room today, but we certainly do find ways to push Jesus away. We can pretty we we find our own ways to keep him at a at a distance to keep our distance from him. And so what I want to do is I want to ask why, why do we do that? What are some of the ways or some of the the reasons that we want that we push Jesus away and keep him at a distance? And they may not be the same reason Herod did it, but what are some of the reasons why we might decide, hey, I'm just going to keep Jesus at a distance. I don't want to get too close. Okay, control. Yep. Busyness. Yep. Don't have time. Guilt, right? Guilt, shame, he won't accept me. Why would I do that? Yeah. Selfishness, right? Anything else? Absolutely, right? Those are all, those are all reasons why we do that, why we distance ourselves from him rather than draw close. And sometimes, 
even when we do draw close to him or when we make a decision that we want to draw close, we still, um, we don't fully reject him, but we still struggle when we do draw close to him. Uh, my son, Jacoby, is, is two years old, and uh, he loves, he's at the stage where he still loves when I play with him. I don't know how long that stage lasts, but I'm enjoying it right now. He loves it when I, when I play with him. And, he, and whenever I come home, he's always excited. He wants me to play. He loves, his favorite things right now are to shoot hoops, which means shoot hoops in the basement. He loves to do that. And then he also, the biggest thing is trains. All right, and it seems like it's been months now. Thomas, the train, there are two, there are four, there are six, there are eight. Anybody know this song? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at the end of my rope with the train stuff. I got to be honest. But we're, you know, it's fine, whatever. He, he enjoys it. But, he, but I, I, I get home or I come downstairs or whatever, and he says, play trains, Papa, play trains. Constantly excited and invites me to play. But one of the things that I've noticed, and you may have noticed this if you've ever played with, with a child that age, is that when we play trains together, the game starts out where we're both playing trains and we're kind of playing together and that kind of thing. But then before long, usually with less than a minute, he'll start to get upset because I'm not playing trains the right way. Like there's something I'm doing that's wrong. There's something that I'm doing that's not quite right. And so and it's basically I'm not doing things the way that he wants. And so what he ends up doing then is taking the train away from me, my train. He connects it with his train, which is convenient, right? And then he plays the trains. He rides them all around wherever he wants. And I just sit there kind of as a bystander watching him. That's kind of how, how it ends up. And so what started out as us playing trains to get together really just ends up with him doing things his way while I kind of sit over on the side and just kind of watch and try to figure out what it is to be, what, that I'm supposed to do. I'm not really invited to be part of the action. He wants me to play with him, but he has so much trouble giving up control that he ends up nudging me right out of the game, almost immediately after we get started playing together. And so I sit there, and of course, I, I, I laugh, and I think it's kind of funny. I know it's coming. You know, I kind of laugh. But I've started to have to try to talk to him and teach him and say, Jacoby, if we're going to play together, you have to let me play too, right? If we're going to play together, you have to let me play too. You have to let me do what I want to do. We can't just do everything your way all the time. It's not really what it looks like to do something together. And I don't think it's a perfect analogy but I do think it paints a good picture of what we often do with Jesus. He wants us to draw close to him, to give him the reins, to do life with him, to allow him to speak into what it is that we're doing. Uh, and we either, A, don't invite him to, to play at all, right, because of some of the other reasons that we, we talked about a minute ago. Or when we do, we struggle because we want to be in charge. We want to call all the shots. We want to control where the trains go. And we want to kind of end up, we, we, a lot of times we end up pushing him to the point where he's just kind of a bystander there while we're trying to control everything. And so during this season of Lent, we have the opportunity to say, Jesus, we're going to make an intentional choice to draw close to you. We're going to get close enough to you to hear your voice. We're going to get close enough to you uh, to catch a better glimpse of who you are. We're going to get close enough to you to allow you to tell us who we are. And we're going to take steps not only to let you play, but to even begin to let you take the trains, to let you be in charge, to trust your leadership a little more than we ever had before. We're going to start to follow you as king. Herod wanted no part of it. He wanted no part of it. We heard about, when he heard about this king, uh, he, he just wanted him gone. But we're invited in this season to respond differently. We're invited to, to, to choose to draw close to him. James put it this way uh, in his letter to his, some followers of Jesus, which is in your outline. He said, come close to God, and God will come close to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James says that when we choose to draw close to God, rather than keep our distance, that God will come close to us. When we choose to draw close to him, he will draw close to us. And when he does draw close, we can't be Herod. We can't be in charge. We can't be trying to call all the shots because he says, as he says here, that's divided loyalty and it just doesn't work. Uh, One of the, uh, excuse me for a second. That's my voice popping, by the way, whenever you hear that. Um, One of the uh, members of our Daybreak uh, Church family, her name's Mary Lou Oldhauser. Uh, She actually attends, she attends over at the other campus. And what she's doing for us this series is she's creating a painting each week that relates to the topic of the day, uh, and which and I don't know about you, but I'm just so impressed by anybody that can create. There's a, yeah, there's an image up there. I, I'm just so impressed by anybody that has any kind of artistic ability whatsoever, because it's just I'm just nowhere near that. But this is just such a gift. I love it when we have a chance to see um, gifts. We get to share our gifts with each other. Uh, just the great variety of gifts that we have in our uh, our church family. Um, but we have this painting here. Uh, that uh, I would encourage you, if you want to, afterwards, come up and take a look at it uh, as well. And we, like I said, we have a snapshot of it up on the screen. But this week, she created a picture to relate to the fact that when Jesus arrived on the scene, like we're, like we're talking about, when he came to earth, he immediately found himself in exile. Immediately, born in the shadows, pushed to the side. So here was Jesus, the one that, that, the one that they had been waiting for, the Son of God, uh, who would head resolutely to the cross. And in his first few years, he was in the shadows. And so what this painting depicts is it depicts three places in his early life where he was kind of cast aside, where he was um, in the shadows, where he was in exile, where he was um, insignificant and, and, and put to the side. And the three different uh, places that the painting depicts, first you have on the far left uh, is the, the, in Bethlehem in the stable. Right? We know that, that there was no room in the inn, and so he ended up being born in, in the shadows in the this, in this stable in the manger, the story that we're, we're all familiar with. And then in the center section here, uh, we find Egypt, that it, in order to escape Herod, that he had to go to, and fled to Egypt, and so he spent time in exile uh, in Egypt. And then the third place that she put on the, the painting is then the carpenter's house, because he grew up in the home of Joseph the carpenter. Uh, he found him, himself in a, in, a, in, a, in a place of shadows, in a, in a quiet and insignificant place growing up before eventually he would end up um, being uh, more well-known and having the crowds following him and teaching him and following obediently uh, to the cross. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to take a moment right now uh, and, and have a brief like minute of reflection centering on this idea of this fact that Christ was in exile, that he was born into the shadows. And I want you to reflect on the question that, that this point asks is that will I keep Jesus at a distance? Will I keep him in exile in my life? Or will, in this season, will I make an intentional decision to say, Jesus, I want to draw close to you. I want to draw closer to you than I am right now. And so over this next minute, we're just going to be quiet for a minute. And I want to encourage you, maybe what you want to do is take the next minute and and you want to think about what would it look like for you to draw closer to Jesus. Maybe you want to think through what that could look like over the next uh, few weeks. Or maybe you want to just talk, maybe say a a short prayer to him and and, and just say, how do you want me to draw closer to you? What are some of the things that are keeping distance between us that you want me to, to get rid of or to remove so that we can draw closer, uh, so that I can draw closer to you? So let's take a minute of, of just quiet and reflect on that and talk to God together.
Will I keep Jesus at a distance or will I draw close to him? And then the second question that we're going to ask today is very closely related to that first one. Is that number two, will others pay the cost for my distance from Jesus or benefit from my intimacy with him? Will others pay the cost for my distance from Jesus or benefit from my intimacy with him? If you're familiar with this story, you know that the next part is really difficult to read. <laughs> it's really difficult to think about. Herod's, Herod's um, selfishness and his hunger for power leads to an incredible destruction to some people in his kingdom, particularly in the little town of Bethlehem. We're picking up the story in verse 16. And remember, God had given the wise men a warning. Don't go back to Herod. Don't tell him that Jesus is here. Get out of here. And so they avoided Herod. And that's where we pick up this part of the story. It says that Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refused to be comforted, for they are no more. Herod was so intimidated. He was so power-hungry, so intimidated by the idea that there was this other king, of someone else being in control, of him possibly being under somebody else's rule, that he continued in his barbaric ways. And a, 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 a study done in the, in the demographics of that time, Bethlehem was a very small like village in that time, and, and the demographics show that there were probably, a best guess is that there were about 30 boys between the ages of 9, 10 months, and 2 years that were killed that day because of Herod's hunger for power and his distance from Jesus. And so his distance from Jesus, Jesus led a whole bunch of people to, to feel personally, powerfully, and painfully that, that, that distance that he had. But what does that have to do, to do with us, right? Like when we read this story, it's like, well, we're not, hopefully, we're not Herods, right? Like that's not, we're not really at that level. Like he is so extreme that like we can all see what, what happened with him and what he did and just get repulsed by it and disgusted by it. We're not kings and queens. We're not ruthless rulers, We're not going to murder people when they stand in the way of what we want. But there is a parallel, right? There is a a parallel is that when we choose to remain distant from Jesus, when we refuse to draw close to him, other people suffer, not just us, right? It's not just us that suffer when we're distant from Jesus. The people around us suffer as well. And many of us have experienced that, right? We've experienced suffering, We've, we've caused the suffering of others when we've been distant from him, and we've experienced suffering ourselves as the result of either ourselves or someone else being distant from him as well. And we don't murder each other, right? But we find other ways to hurt each other, right? We lie, we speak down to each other, we get angry more quickly, we avoid meaningful conversations, we push each other's buttons more intentionally, we gossip more, uh, more often. And of course, there are a lot of things, less, lesser things that we do, and then a lot of worse things that we do. We've all been there. We've all experienced ourselves, and we've experienced others when Jesus is kept at a distance. But what about the flip side of that? What about the opposite side of that? What does it look like when we, and when other, when, when we or other people draw close to him, when we're living our lives in closer proximity to him? What I want to do is I want to take a minute and, and have us describe some of those things. So I want to think about either for yourself 
or for somebody else in your life, what are some of the things that you've noticed? What are some of the things that you've noticed either in yourself or in other people when they draw closer to Jesus, when they're living their lives closer to Jesus? What are some of the things that you notice about you or about them? I know it's a deeper question. Yeah, more patience. Freedom. Happiness. What's that? Peaceful, yeah. Sense of purpose. Anything else? Approachable, okay. One more time. Relief. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, they're, 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 they're fun to be around. Absolutely. Most of the things that we come up with, you can almost categorize in what the Bible uh, refers in one spot to as the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit, the things that God, we can't drum them up on our own, but they're things that God grows in us and that are, that are developed in us when we're, when we're close to Him, when we're spending our time connected with Him, um, these are the things that God produces in us as we stay connected to him and draw closer to Jesus. And like what we were just saying, let's be honest, like, aren't these the things we would like to be true about us? Like, aren't these the things that we really want? Like, don't we want to be all those things? Isn't that what we, we hunger for? Wouldn't you just love it if when, when people thought about you that those were the types of words that came to mind? Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled, like wouldn't you think those, wouldn't you love to have those be the words that come to mind? Getting, getting close to Jesus, drawing close to Jesus is what our souls need. It's what we're hungry for, whether we realize it or not. And when we choose to move closer and closer to Jesus, rather than distancing ourselves from him, we experience and those around us experience more and more of the fruit that we all would say, that's what I want to be like. <laughs> that's what I want to see in my life. I want to draw your attention to uh, this card that you have in your program guide. Should I switch mics? Would that be helpful? No? Okay. Um, I want to just draw your attention to this card. It's called the, uh, flip it on the back side where it says the Lenten journey. What this is, is this is information about how you can get involved. Again, today is kind of setting the stage for these weeks that are ahead of us. And so, you can, get in, you can get involved by doing a, a number of different things to kind of engage in what's happening this Lenten season. And the point of this card, there's a spot for you to write some stuff down on. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the point of this is not, you're not handing this in. This isn't for anybody else. This is for you to have, to put somewhere where you're going to see it regularly to remind yourself of being, a, being on this journey and to remind yourself of what things you've decided, hey, I want this to be a part of the next uh, couple of months, a part of this Lenten journey uh, for you. And so there's a quote at the beginning there um, that says, Observing the season of Lent prepares us to celebrate the joy of the resurrection by first recognizing the gravity of our sin that nailed Christ to the cross. And so the Lenten journey is designed to help you engage with Jesus in three ways. And these are some, some things. What we want you to do is think about these, take these, take these home with you today and, and this week and talk to God and ask him how he wants you to participate. The first one is, is fasting for focus. Fasting is a gift that helps each of us give up one personal desire in order to focus in on the desire to hear 
from God during Lent. And so this can be a lot of times traditionally fasting had to do with giving up a meal or giving up a particular type of food or meat on Fridays or whatever it might be, right? And so that, that's one, one possibility. Maybe there is something related to food that, that, that God will ask you to give up. And so, but it doesn't just have to be food. It could be maybe he wants you to give up some kind of media or maybe he wants you uh, to give up your, some beverage, coffee in the morning or something like that. Or maybe, but it's, the idea of it is that there's, some of you are like, no way. I love Jesus, <laughs> but that's a little too much, right? Yeah, but, but the idea of it is that there's something that you desire, that you know, like there's this desire that you have, and it's just, it's kind of a part of your pattern. Like it's a part of your routine, and it's this desire you have. I know coffee is a big thing for me. Now that I'm saying it, maybe that's what, I, anyhow. I'm, this card is between me and God, so I'm not going to talk about it. But, but whatever it is, it's this idea that you have this desire, and instead of, of going to whatever that other thing is to meet that desire, instead of going to Facebook, instead of going to coffee, instead of eating lunch, is to say, okay, instead of that God, I'm going to take this time and draw close to you. I'm going to take this, this time and talk to you to get to know you, to spend some time with you in relationship uh, with you. So that's one thing that you can do, a way you can participate over the course of this series. The second one is uh, daily rhythm fulfilling. Engaging in a daily rhythm devotional Uh, that helps you be filled with Christ's presence as we identify with him in his journey to the cross. Now, you may have some scripture, uh, type of scripture that you want to read on your own, some kind of devotional that you want to commit yourself to, but we have three different um, Lent-focused devotionals that we would encourage you to consider. Now, the first one is one that I read from earlier. It's called Seeking God's Face, Uh, and it, it, it has a Lent section in it, but it also has devotions for the entire year. So that's, that's one option. You could use that. A second one is a book uh, called Shadows, Darkness, and Dawn, which has some devotionals that kind of, it starts, uh, I believe, on, on uh, Ash Wednesday and leads all the way up through uh, till Easter. And so that, that just has those daily devotions. And then there's a smaller one in, as well uh, called Once a Day, 40 Days to Easter, where the devotionals are a little bit shorter. And I think the cost is a little bit different in each of those books as well. They're available out at Ministry Central if you're interested. Um, but would encourage you to consider during this time to take extra intentional focus and say, okay, I want to spend some time reading, listening to what God wants to say, getting to know Jesus a little bit better. And then the third one is praying for the sake of others, praying together for others to experience Christ this Easter by bringing them and their needs to our community prayer wall. We're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in the coming weeks, this idea of a prayer wall that we're going to have here. But the gist of this is, is what we were just talking about, is that when we draw close to Jesus, other people experience something different. When we draw closer to him, other people ha- experience that closeness, and they see that type of fruit in our lives. And so one of the things that we begin to pray for is to look at other people in our lives and say, man, wouldn't I, that, it would be so great if that person started to draw closer to Jesus. Right? It would be so great if that, if that neighbor of mine drew a little bit closer to Jesus this year. Or it would be so great if, if that family member of mine drew a little bit closer to Jesus. Or it would be so great if, if that coworker of mine drew a little bit closer to him. And so what you do is you begin to prepare yourself and say, I'm going to start praying for them. Right? I'm going to start praying for them. Instead of just acknowledging them or ignoring them or being annoyed by them, I'm going to start praying that God would, God would speak to them. And, and maybe even... Take a step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, come, come to them and say, hey, we're doing this Lent thing at work where we're praying for different people that we know, and I wonder, is there anything I can pray for you about? Maybe there's somebody in your life that you could do that, where you could take a step and say, hey, how can I pray for you during this, this time? 
And then maybe, you, maybe along with that, maybe there's an invitation that you want to extend to somebody to come out on Easter Sunday to worship and to celebrate the resurrection. Maybe that's what you want to do. There's a lot of times where Easter's really one of the times a year where people expect to have some invitation from somebody to come to church. And so maybe there's somebody in your life that you want to, that you want to pray for, uh, get to know a little bit better, and then invite to come to Easter worship with you on Resurrection Sunday. Um, that's the type on the, those lines there where it says prayer requests. Those are the types of things you could write down, names of people or prayer requests of those people uh, as, you, as you talk with them about, about this, this prayer idea. And then there's a resolute prayer there, which is kind of a series prayer, which we'll, we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. And so what we're asking, what, what we're inviting you to do is not to try to figure all that out right now and make some kind of response to it, but to take the card with you, to think about, to pray over, to ask God, what are you asking for me to fast? How do you want me to engage in a, in a devotional? How do you, who do you want me to begin to pray for? And, and allow God to speak to you over the course of the next week or so, so that when once we dive in, uh, to the devotionals and that kind of thing, you'll be, ready, uh, you'll be ready to go. So let's return back to your outline. Uh, Matthew, in Matthew 2, uh, uh, verses 19 and 20, it reveals what ended the exile of Jesus as a child. It says that when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So in the end of this part of the story, when this part of the story wraps up, Herod dies and Christ prevails, right? Herod dies and Christ prevails. Father God keeps his son, Jesus, by safely hiding him in obscurity, in the shadows, protecting him from death because his time had not yet come. And so the Lenten season challenges us to follow Jesus in the shadow of the cross. As we engage in this together over the next few weeks, we're going to draw close to Jesus. We're going to experience parts of his journey we're going to experience his interactions with others, maybe in ways that we never had before. We're going to experience his faithfulness and come to recognize how determined and how resolute he was as he journeyed to the cross on our behalf. So will you choose to draw close to him? Will you seek him? Will you search for him? Will you pursue him? Will you allow him to reveal himself to you? There's an old uh, poem, which actually was turned into a hymn, that speaks of this this cry, this, this drawing closer to Jesus, what it looks like for somebody to say, I want, I want that. I want to draw close to you. And it's, it's, it's called Just As I Am Without One Plea. And some of you, you may be familiar with this, but I want to kind of read this, um, read this for you. I'd actually ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes, and we'll kind of make this a, a prayer together as we wrap up this morning. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yes, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. 
Jesus, that's our prayer. We want to draw close to you during this season. You know where all of us are coming from today. and You know what drawing a little closer looks like for each of us. I pray that you would um, draw us to yourself. I pray that we would have the courage to take new steps to get to know you better as we follow you to the cross. We thank you for being resolute on our behalf. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us. Um, if you've been to Daybreak before, you know that uh, every week we have a little response time where you have this, this card as an opportunity to take some time to, re- to say, okay, God, what have you said to me today? And then to record it on the back of the card in these blank lines. And maybe it's a prayer request. Maybe it's something, some way that he spoke or, spoke or challenged you today. As these guys lead us, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to respond to his challenge.